glad to be with all of you and with Miss Comadres again. Welcome to Café with Comadres. We are three Latinas meeting at the intersection of healing, faith, and justice. We believe in the healing power of sisterhood and honest conversations that happen around the table. Today, we're going to be talking about our ancestors. So I want to give a heads up that our content today will touch on grief, loss, and death. If this is not a time that you can enter into this topic, we encourage you to come back to it another time. My name is Karen Gonzalez, and I'm setting the mesa today, but I'm not alone. I'm in the company of my ancestors, and I'm also joined by my comadres, Jennifer Guerraldana. Hi, everybody. And Santiago Valle Martinez. Que gusto estar aquí. Good to be with you. Welcome to my mesita. Bring your café and your ánimo or energy, because I can't wait to introduce you to the people who have shaped me and the people whose stories of resilience and joy still guide me today. So, my mother died when I had just turned 17. At the time, my tía Pia was with us. But soon after my mother's death, she returned to her life in Guatemala. Many months later, she and I talked and she mentioned that she had been having dreams about my mother each night. And the dreams were a little bit disturbing, not nightmares, but not positive. And these dreams caused her to remember that she had made my mother a promise. She had told my mother that she would go to the most sacred space in all of Guatemala, which is the Basilica de Esquipulas. And this is a place where many pilgrims come to honor and pray to the carved black Christ. Well, she had told my mother that she would come to this holy place and that she would light a candle for her and pray for her soul. So she did so. She went and she reported that she stopped having the dreams because she had fulfilled her promise. Now, this happened decades ago. And yet, in 2019, when I went to Guatemala, I saw my tia Pia, and I discovered that even now, when she enters churches, anywhere that she goes, she says a prayer for my mother and for my siblings too, and she still lights a little velita, a little candle. Now, it's noteworthy that out of all of us in my family who were deeply affected by my mom's death, my tia Pia has been able to process her grief in a way that has made her stronger and that has really made her more able to be comforted by my mother's memory. I think a lot of us, and understandably so, of course, still suffer through pain, and regret over a lot of things, over words that were said or unsaid, over actions we should have taken, love we should have shown, or love we should have been grateful for. And through all of this, she still feels really close to my mother. She says that she experiences her presence and her warmth too. And her worldview has really helped her to process and endure the physical loss of my mother. I'll be honest with you, there was a time in my life 
or I would have really easily dismissed my Tia Pia's experience. I would have said it was just superstition and maybe even thought that her actions bordered on something dark or sinister. But the woman I am today sees her experience very differently. In fact, many of the things that she shared with me were a guide and a comfort. Part of the reason uh, for the change in me is that who I am today is not only more open to the mystical, but I also know that her experience is supported not only by my Christian faith, but also by science. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) Science. Physics, to be exact. Remember the first law of thermodynamics? No energy gets created in the universe and none is destroyed. Now, you may have read a really popular post by a physicist named Aaron Freeman. He encourages everyone to have a physicist speak at their funeral because only a physicist can remind our grieving loved ones that all of our energy, our vibrations, every BTU of heat, every wave of every particle that was us still remains in this world. So all of that energy that our ancestors gave off as heat, and think about the heat as we're recording in the middle of the DC summer, and it's so hot and so humid. So all that warmth and heat that flowed through our ancestors is still here, is still part of all that we are. Our ancestors are with us. Now, we don't mean that just as a figurative saying, but as a lived reality. Now, how they're actually with us is, I confess to you, a mystery to me, but I know that their energy exists. In a book called Voices of the Ancestors, Irenda Cervantes says, in ancient Mesoamerica, it was believed that the heart was the seat of the soul. And at the time of death, the spirit was transformed into winged creatures, butterflies or hummingbirds, and the energy returned to the universe, a form of reciprocity. So comadres, I wanna ask you, what are each of you bringing into this space? How are you given guidance, nurture, protection, and sabiduría or wisdom from your ancestors? Sandy? That is beautiful, Karen. Um, I've lived here in the Northeast for only a couple years, and this humidity, I call it the Northeast embrace, you know? And so now as you're meditating on ancestors, I say like, ooh, maybe this is who is embracing me as I move here. You know, one of my first experiences of death was when I was 11. My abuelita Lupita was staying in our home when she passed away. And there was a lot of questions surrounding her that I particularly had questions around the things that she never found out. You know, she never learned to read or write. So her ability to do research on her own was very limited. But she died with a question on her mind, wondering what had been of her mom, Angela Rodriguez. Lupita, my grandmother, was raised by her madrina, her godmother because her biological mother, Angela, had left her behind when she heard a call 
to join the revolutionary forces of Mexico in the early 20th century, in the early 1900s. I wrote a poem at some point this past year through COVID, through the pandemic. I felt really alone and I felt like I needed to put that into word the grief that I was experiencing last summer. And part of what came in those moments, I truly believe what this was the spirit of Angela. I imagine Angela having to make that choice on a lonely night where she saw her children. My grandma remembers she had older siblings. Mm -hmm. And she knew that there was this cause that was calling her heart. The cause that was demanding that lands were accessible to those that cultivated them. La tierra pertenece a quien la trabaja was the call of the independence of the Revolution War in Mexico. And so I imagine that she struggled, and I imagine that within her being, Angela Rodriguez could feel the tug of her child and the tug of this calling. I don't know all that she had to struggle with that night. I imagine that she heard the cries of my grandma, her three-year-old, but I also imagine that she heard the voice of the lucha that was inviting her to join the struggle for tierra y libertad, for earth, for land and liberty. And so that night, I imagine that she made a choice that she was going to pursue this. And she took her all her children and left behind my grandma. And so I often, when I'm faced with different difficult choices, my mind goes to Angela Rodriguez. Mm. I was 16 when I moved to the U.S., and I didn't move here with my parents. I believe it was the spirit of Angela Rodriguez, la revolucionaria, that accompanied me in that difficult moment. Mm. And I think in my lineage, in my ancestors, I know that my, ancestor, my ancestral line is filled with women who have had to make difficult choices to pursue justice. And so when my grandma Lupita passed away, my prima, Jessie, said that mi abuelita Lupita never left us, that she was still within, with us, que mi abuelita nos visitaba, and that she came to us in the form of a white butterfly. Now, nobody told us this. Nobody taught us that, you know, some of the, our indigenous beliefs are that the dead transform into these winged creatures. But it is true, we stayed with this narrative that my abuelita was this mariposita blanca. And I recently moved to this new home where we are recording. And as I attended to our new garden, a white butterfly flew through all of our plants. And I knew Lupita had come to bless my home. And I know that when Lupita comes, Angela Rodriguez comes with her. That's what I bring to this table. Sunday, I'll never see a white butterfly and not think of your grandma, but also your journey of movement to this place. And I have to be honest that this conversation, I haven't always known how to access it because the first loss in my life was my abuelito Venancio when I was about five, but I don't remember much about it because the adults in the family decided to not actually have any of the kids attend the funeral. And we didn't talk about his death much. All I know is that it happened on September 11th. That's the only thing I knew was the date. 
because the day of his funeral, all I remember was eating at one of my tia's house with all my cousins because we didn't attend the funeral. And over the years, I found out more about my abuelito through pockets of storytelling or when somebody would wonder out loud how he would have responded to a certain situation. Que hubiera hecho Venancio was usually what followed a story about him where I would find out. But what I mostly know about him is what I saw in pictures. And one in particular was me and him in a construction site. The second loss of a loved one uh, was of my tia Chochi in 2018. That one, I felt, and I felt deeply. It was also the first year that I was compelled to do an altar and really commemorate Dia de los Muertos for the first time. I felt it was necessary to pause and to tell her story and to enjoy a meal with her one last time or to enjoy a meal with her again in the company of her and other friends also remembering loved past ones. So we ate Thai food and Popeye's biscuits smothered in butter and honey because those were her absolute favorites. And sitting at the table sharing about both of them was really powerful and I was able to make connections I had not made before. You see, both Abuelito Venancio and Tia Chochi were honestly not considered Christians because they cussed, they drank alcohol, they were blunt about their opinions, and they gambled. And yet both of them loved me in some of the most extravagant and subversive ways. Women, and particularly little girls, are not typically what you picture at a construction site. <laughs> they did not mix very well. And yet here I am, wearing just diapers and my shoes, sitting on a wall that was in construction. And my abuelito always had a defiance of what society and the church said the rules were um, and had this obsession people had with following the rules of society and the church. And to this day, I think of his defiance of what the church and what society says women can and cannot do. What others have interpreted as dangerous was actually beautiful and a wonderful memory. What was supposedly out there for a little girl, the truth is that Yo era, era bien aventada. And so he caught on to that in my personality and celebrated it and said, Mi nieta es aventada, so I'm going to do this stuff with her. And my tia Chochi was a loud celebrator of my academic achievements. She always took the time to ask me what I was up to. And she always celebrated my body and my curves because she herself was a plus size woman and had been a recipient of a lot of ugly comments and harassment. And so she used her voice to celebrate the body that I had. So while the church and society constantly yelled at me to follow the rules, lose weight, soften my voice, take up less pace, Maulito Venancio and Mitia Chochi were constantly yelling the opposite. And so I commune with them by, well, remembering them and by keeping their picture around, by telling their story and once a year, gathering around the table and eating the things that they loved the most. Mm. It's beautiful, Jennifer. I love that. And, you know, I resonate with so much of what you said of how hard it is to enter into this way of thinking and seeing because I myself had that same experience. I think the Western uh, worldview teaches us to see death and dying and loss in a particular way. And it's not in the ways that our ancestors engage these very same uh, topics. You know, we're exploring ancestral wisdom and connections, and we know that we've lost so much cultural memory because mm -hmm. of white supremacy and because of colonialism. The Western worldview sees 
uh, no connection between the physical and the spiritual. These two things are severed completely from one another. So you live in one or you live in the other. Now, the physical is where we live while we are alive. And the spiritual, right, is where we live after we die. So we're taught to distance ourselves from the dying and the dead. And we're taught to fear death. And this happens in ways that are explicit and implicit. Because once someone dies, according to the Western worldview, they're powerless and they're invisible. They disappear. So in order for us to really be able to appreciate and learn from and commune with our ancestors, we have to decolonize our view of death. Now, the indigenous worldview is not binary in the same way. It doesn't present in these rigid dichotomies, but instead there's kind of a fluid connection between the spiritual and the physical, sort of a river, you know, that runs to both, right? And you can visit uh, both places. So we remember our dead, and in return, the dead renew or guide the living. So Mesoamerican and African indigenous uh, Wisdom teaches that the veil between the lands of the living and the lands of the dead is permeable. And that veil can be lifted or penetrated so that the dead can visit the living. This is called uh, Nepantla spirituality. So, comadres, as you think about all of these forces, um, how have they affected the way that you commune with your ancestors? How have they affected the way that your ancestors have shaped you? Jennifer. Yeah, thank you for that question, Karen. And you know, um, you know, growing up, there was such a high emphasis on on heaven and hell as the only binary or only framework I was given to understand death. And so, to die was to graduate. <laughs> and there was this uh, belief, right, that the only way that we would be reunited was in heaven, and that's what we looked forward to. And I didn't grow up with a lot of moments of remembrance. However, I have always had a strong connection with the ocean because I grew up in a place called Puerto Barrios, Isabal, where the ocean was my backyard. It's where the kids went to play. It's what, my favorite place in the world. And, but the ocean, the reason my family loved the ocean is because Abuelito Benancio loved the ocean. He loved fishing. He loved taking us out on his boats, on his lancha. And he loved it so much that he spent all of his time saving up to build a house with rooms for all of his kids to bring their kids to a place called Manavique in Guatemala. And so it took him a long time, but he built this house. And in order to get to this house, you had to get on a boat. And so we would all get on his boat. Maria, uh, Maria Gaviota was the name of his boat. And ever since I was a little girl, I remember getting on Maria Gaviota. And then the first thing that you experience is the wind, <laughs> the moment the motor comes on and he started to drive, it was just, whew, you just felt it in your hair, in your ears, in your body. And the wind and the movement of the waves was what I remember the most of our trips to Manavique. And it wasn't until college when I went to school, literally built on ocean cliffs, that I explored this connection I had to the wind and to the water further. Because feeling the wind in my hair and my face would bring me a deep comfort, like if I was being held. And at the same time, this reminder that I was in movement, I wasn't stuck in what I was living through in that day. 
and that I could remember that I may find myself on my way back to my abuelito's house in my abuelito's home, a home he built for us in Manavique. So when I built my altar um, for Dia de los Muertos, the photo I put up of my grandfather is the one of him on his boat that says Maria Gaviota. And to this day, when I find myself really, really overwhelmed, the first place I like to go to on my birthday, um, the place where I often have my time of prayer and time of silence, is the ocean. And to feel the wind is to be reminded that my abuelito Venancio, um, to be reminded of the Achochi, and to know that I am seen and I am held and that I'm also in movement. I'm not stuck in the places that I'm in. And so that's how I've learned to commune with them. And that's those, the ocean and nature are places where I find that connection to wind movement in the sense of there is, I could be held and both be in movement at the same time because I'm on my way to somewhere really beautiful and safe. Yes, yeah. yes. I want to visit Manabike with you. Oh, <laughs> we should go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make this happen. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention the wind mm -hmm. and the movement and stillness that is mm -hmm. uh, both that are both present at the same time. You know, I think part of um, how we have shifted our relationship with nature due to the fact that we are now in a very westernized society really has shaped how we relate to death as mm -hmm. well. And oftentimes when we're more connected to nature, when we see how there are cycles that occur over and over. Here in the East Coast, we have seasons that are heavily marked. Mm -hmm. And so you know that in spring, flowers start sprouting up from the ground and life is coming. And summer makes them even more beautiful and mm -hmm. some start to come, the humidity here starts raining and the forest is very luscious, you know, and just starts becoming green. And then the fall comes and things turn into different colors. And you start seeing the changing and the maturing of things until eventually we get winter mm. when things die. And what once was luscious and what was, was green is now brown, it's now lifeless, it's sterile, it's immobile, it's grievous. It's not a scene that you would enjoy looking at. But we know that after the winter comes, there's spring that comes again. And that just becomes a part of the reality that we experience with the seasons and that we experience through nature. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say that for me, something that took me away from celebrating my ancestors and communing with them was evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. I did not grow up in an evangelical home or in a Protestant home, didn't really know evangelicals in Mexico or Protestants in Mexico until I uh, migrated to the U.S. And there was a sense that communing with the ancestors was evil mm. and that setting up altars was seen as demonic. It was not something to be celebrated. It was uh, worshiping other gods. It was seen as idolatrous and it was heavily criticized. I believe that part of what made it so was that in, often in the circles, there are voices of control and influence. 
that have to make our ancestors powerless in order for them to remain in control. Mm-hmm. That the voices that need to influence us are the voices of white male pastors and their patriarchal allies alone. And I lost the traditions that were with me, you know, the rosarios, the staying with the dead and grieving communally after someone passed for days, because death was not something that we marked. We were marked by resurrection. The cross was not something that we looked to with a suffering Christ. Instead, it was looking at the resurrection. We were people of the resurrection. And there was such disconnection between the two. We lost that indigenous integration, that ability to travel between both and that ability to hold them as simultaneous realities. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is why death is so, um, you know, you hear a lot in Christian terms, death is something to be conquered, right? Because uh, it's like the, the, the worst thing, right, that can happen. It's complete loss, whereas it can be seen in a different way, right? It can be seen as a transition and to uh, another state of, of being, mm-hmm. right, and another way to be present. Yeah, it's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I I was thinking as you all were talking about um, in Guatemala, you know, I grew up in a nominally Catholic mm-hmm. family, and um, there is a uh, festival, a kite festival, Festival de Barriletes, and it's these like giant kites. I'm talking about like 50-yard <laughs> kites. I mean, wow. they're, they're really, really huge, brown, you wow. know. And the tails of the kites, you know, are made up of um, often messages mm-hmm. um, or prayers that people send up to their ancestors. Um, and so this is our, our Day of the Dead practice in Guatemala. And it's spreading to other towns and villages outside of uh, Zumpango, which is where it happens at the moment. But yeah, so on the Day of the Dead, people arrange flowers, they clean the tombs of their dead loved ones, and then in Dia de Todos los Santos, which is November 1st, is where these kites are flown and these messages go up, mm-hmm. right? And they're uh, sent out to the ancestors. And I think it's a beautiful practice. Yeah. You know, I can think of so many things I'd like to say to people that I've lost. You know, my, mm-hmm. my tia Thelma um, died last summer, you know, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And I remember thinking... Uh, lately about, oh, I'd love to tell her some family chisme. Because <laughs> it would make her so happy and her eyes would <laughs> her eyes would widen. Maybe I could attach a little note to a kite, right? Yeah, but I've also thought about the way my nieces, these little girls, you know, they, they experience my mother's presence as ladybugs. Again, these little flying animals, right? Um, they see ladybugs and they remember their abuela, their abuela that they never met. Mm. And this is something that just came out of them, you know, these children of uh, whose mom is Central American and somehow this was born in them, you know, mm. through their ancestors. I had an experience when I first moved to Baltimore. It was a rather painful move. You know, there was heartbreak involved and there was job loss involved. There was a lot that was really hard about the move and one of the things that I remember is the first house that I lived in had this yard that was just really wild and really unkempt you could tell no one had been tending to it and of course 
here it doesn't matter as much because again once winter comes everything dies anyway but i moved there in the fall and the first thing that i noticed in this garden where nothing was kept nothing was cared for there was all this wild mint that was growing and so Jennifer probably knows this, but in, in Guatemala, we make the salsa called chilmol. Mm. And instead of cilantro, we use uh, yerbabuena, which is the word that we use for mint, which is called the good, the good herb, right? Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's mint. And um, <clears throat> my mom always grew mint in our yard because she had to make chilmol. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know she always had a little plant um, in our yard or a little pot where she was growing it and it's so easy to grow and I remember seeing this and having a sense that I'm going to survive this season I'm going to get through it and I know I am because here's my mother's presence in this garden and this plant this mint it's resilient it literally grows anywhere, even if it's not being cared for. And even in this foreign environment, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought about the way my mom um, nourished me and the way that, you know, I'm going to survive this season because I have that from her. I have that mm-hmm. same resilience that I can be planted in this new city and I'm going to be okay. And so I think this is the what's powerful, yeah. right? It's not that we're seeing ghosts or <laughs> talking to floating <laughs> smoke or something. <laughs> Which is really the way that often people think about communing right. with ancestors. We're talking about uh, the way that they guide us and the way that um, we continue to be loved and nourished and comforted. So our ancestors can serve as guides, as comforters, reminding us that the physical and that the spiritual are connected. They can support us in our grief. They can continue to be present to us. And our practices, things like altar making, right, can help us experience a a deep connection to them. And they can offer us a chance to really reflect deeply on who we are. Because in remembering, uh, they're made whole, they appear, they're not forgotten, but we're made whole too. Mm-hmm. Well, this was such a rich conversation, hermanas. I want to thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your own stories of connecting to people that you deeply care for, you know, that are so meaningful in your families and that are, are lost to you in a physical sense. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank all of you for sitting at this mesa with us today and for journeying with us as we met our antepasadas, our living ancestors. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear your experiences, the way that you commune and connect. So you can follow us on Instagram at Cafe with Comadres, and you can leave comments with your own stories on this week's post to continue the conversation. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help others to find us. Now, nos vemos a la siguiente sobre mesa. Hasta luego, everyone. Thank you for the sacred mesa. Nos vemos. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about this one for a bit. Nos vemos en la siguiente. Bye, everybody.